You're listening to Fast Company's Long Story Short Podcast, where we present a feature story fast so you can get smart, then get back to your day. I'm here with Kathleen Davis, Fast Company Senior Editor, and she wrote our May digital cover story, How the ACLU is Leading the Resistance. It's a story about how Executive Director Anthony Romero prepared his 1,200-person team for a Trump presidency months before he was even elected. Here's Kathleen reading an excerpt from the story explaining just how they prepared. And programming note, I will be speaking for Anthony Romero, so keep that in mind as you hear my voice during the story. Mark Rosenbaum spent 40 years at the ACLU's Southern California chapter before becoming director of the Opportunity Under Law Division of the pro bono law firm Public Counsel. He says, Government has turned its back on the people, and the ACLU is leading the charge in saying we are here to listen, we are here to be part of a strategic plan. They are developing strategies and policies that are responsive to the real needs that are being voiced. This is all possible because the ACLU, under Executive Director Anthony Romero, was ready for the president whom it called a one-man constitutional crisis. More than six months before the media and much of the American public was blindsided by the election results, the ACLU was preparing for a Trump presidency. In May 2016, as Bernie Sanders conceded the Democratic primary and Trump secured enough delegates to claim the Republican primary, Romero directed his staff to begin compiling detailed reports on what exactly a Clinton and Trump presidency would mean for civil liberties and constitutional rights. The ACLU is organized into 14 different project groups, each focused on a major issue, such as voting rights, criminal justice, surveillance, and immigration. Within each group, there are subgroups for specific topics, like detention or refugees. At any given time, the ACLU may be working on roughly 66 different subjects. For the candidate dossiers, Romero asked each project group to consider the politician through the lens of its issue. For the Clinton report, the task was relatively simple. The teams had decades of Clinton policy statements to draw from, and they looked at what the appointment of a moderate Supreme Court nominee might mean for its issues such as the death penalty and stop and frisk. Building a detailed report on Trump was much more daunting and unpopular. Romero concedes that some of the staff, already burdened with the pressure to wrap up pending litigation against the Obama administration, likely viewed it as Anthony's vanity project. But Romero pushed forward. Everyone was talking about Clinton, Clinton, Clinton. We had a Clinton plan, and we were thinking about the transition, but we had to have a Trump plan, because if he was to be elected, the challenges would have been too great to just address on the fly. To pull together the report, the ACLU hired an outside research firm and called through all of Trump's statements. Then I said to the litigators, give me the best constitutional, legal, statutory analysis you would muster to fight these policies. The ACLU published the Trump memos on July 13, 2016. The 27-page document took all of candidate Trump's campaign rhetoric literally and seriously on six big issues, immigration, actions against Muslims, torture, libel, mass surveillance, and abortion, drawing out his often vague or incoherent statements to their possible policy positions. Then it built a clear defense against each. ACLU Communications Director Michelle Moore explains, quote, We had to take him at his word. So if he was talking about mass deportation forces, we thought, what does that mean in terms of the right to due process? End quote. The ACLU had no way of knowing when or if the president would try to fulfill his campaign promises, but it created the backbone for its legal arguments just in case. 
Today, the document reads like a detailed playbook for Trump's first 100 days and likely beyond. For example, the July memo explained that Trump's own inflammatory campaign rhetoric against Muslims could be used to undermine any attempt at a country-based travel ban. The memo reads, quote, to the extent that Trump's proposed ban has shifted from an explicit religion-based ban to a pretextual country-based ban, it remains unmistakably clear from the history of this proposal and from the continuing focus on Muslims in public statements from the Trump campaign that the target continues to be adherents of a particular faith. The Constitution does not tolerate such discrimination, end quote. This is the very argument that would help win over the Ninth Circuit Court judges more than six months later. Why did Romero prepare for an outcome that everyone thought was unlikely? He says it's just in his nature. I have a plan A, plan B, and plan C, and then I have to come up with plan D on the spot. We're the only nonprofit that put out a report on Trump. Our job was to be ready for the worst case scenario. Being at the vanguard isn't new for Romero. He has often filled the role of first. He is the first Latino and openly gay man to lead the ACLU and was the first person in his family to graduate from high school. Born to immigrant parents from Puerto Rico, he spent his early childhood in public housing in the Bronx. He understood at a young age the hurdles that immigrants face. During Romero's childhood, his father filed a grievance against the hotel he worked for when he was denied a promotion because of his limited English. Romero went on to Princeton where he studied public and international affairs and then Stanford Law School. After law school, he applied for a fellowship at the ACLU but was turned down. He wound up at the Rockefeller Foundation where he established himself as a civil rights advocate. From there, he took a position in the Civil Rights and Social Justice Division of the Ford Foundation where he became one of the youngest directors in the foundation's history. It was there that he honed the fundraising skills that have been such a boon to the ACLU. Romero became the executive director of the ACLU one week before the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks. I hadn't even unpacked my boxes yet or gotten business cards. It really required me to put my arms around the place and provide the leadership that the organization needed and that the country required. While Romero anticipated that the attacks might lead to an increased nationalism and an erosion of civil liberties, similar to what happened in the aftermath of Pearl Harbor, he decided to begin by addressing the country's mood. His first press release, issued on September 20th, took a decidedly patriotic tone, pledging that the ACLU would, quote, work with our national leaders in their fight to bring those responsible for this tragedy to justice, end quote. Not all of his colleagues agreed with his approach. Some people within the ACLU thought I was too nationalistic. But you have to meet the client where they are. And our client, the American people, were grieving and stunned and afraid. I said to the staff, we have to make sure that the public is ready to hear us. As soon as the Bush administration began to enact the Patriot Act or detain and deport immigrants, that's when we were really at full throttle. Today, Romero views the ACLU as the U.S.'s insurance policy. Under his leadership, it has become an institution that prepares silently in the background and pushes forward as the need arises. Since Romero took the helm, his lawyers have battled cases both big, the end of Don't Ask, Don't Tell in 2010, marriage equality in 2015, and lesser known, and have challenged presidents whether it was over George W. Bush's mass surveillance efforts or the Obama administration's deportation and use of drones in battle. And although the public might not have been interested in the Trump memos last summer, the ACLU did its due diligence just in case. For more about how the ACLU is putting the $83 million in donations it has received since the election to work, 
and to hear the dramatic story of how they defeated the first travel man in 24 hours, and how they received leaks directly from the White House, check out the full story on FastCompany.com. This has been John Converse Townsend and Kathleen Davis, Fast Company Senior Editor, for Long Story Short. Thanks for joining us.